We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Hey everyone, this is Mike Randall of the Action Network and Rotoviz. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. Welcome to the special edition of Rotoviz Radio. In between the NFL Combine and the NFL Draft, we are previewing each of the eight divisions, 32 teams, eight reporters, and eight separate podcasts. We are covering team needs, free agency, draft rumors, basically everything between now and day one of the draft. Today, to preview the AFC East, I'm going to be joined by Mike Giardi of the NFL Network. He's one of the best in the business and gives us great insight on the Patriots, Dolphins, Bills, and Jets. Mike reviews last season, talks free agency, and predicts the NFL draft needs for all four of those teams. Please follow him on Twitter at Mike Giardi. But before we get to the guests, I want to remind you that listeners can get a 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL Pass through the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all our premium NFL content and tools, and best of all, it helps support the pod. Again, be sure to get your 30% discount for an NFL Pass at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. All right, now let's get to the guests. 
Please welcome to the show Mike Giardi, who covers the NFL for the NFL Network. You can find him on Twitter at Mike Giardi, G-I-A-R-D-I. He's an expert on all things NFL, and he's the perfect person to join us today to preview the AFC East for the NFL Draft. Mike, thanks so much for joining us on Rotoviz Radio. How are you doing today? Very well. Thanks for having me. So what we'll do, Mike, is we'll go through the AFC East. You're an expert on all the teams here, but you can give us some insight. We'll start with the Patriots, of course, one that you were certainly an expert on. The defending Super Bowl champions, AFC East champion for 10 years running and 14 in the last 15 years. Pats have won three of the last five Super Bowls, and as long as they have Belichick and Brady, they're certainly the favorites. Of course, the big news was tight end Rob Gronkowski just announced his retirement, so they're going to lose one of their big offensive weapons. He had his worst year last year as a Patriot in terms of per-game production. He started only 11 games, had 47 catches and three touchdowns, but despite limited impact, they certainly lose a future Hall of Famer and the best tight end to ever play the game. What's the feeling around the team on the Gronkowski announcement? Is it a bit of a scramble, or do they figure they won with limited weapons so that you're going to be okay moving forward it's a bit of a scramble i mean even though Gronk clearly was not himself for a better part of last year and it was only sort of the late part of the season where he flexed his muscles a little bit um you know he's still someone that requires game planning from a defense you got to pay attention to where he is he can't you know there were teams that singled him and that worked for a little stretch where he was hurt but he got later in the year and he got a little bit healthier that wasn't such a good plan. So you have someone that other teams had to worry about, and now you take him out of the equation. You do it after free agency had already started and after all the sort of the big names and the better players are off the board. Not the tight end was a, was a great position in free agency this year. And it sort of leaves them in, in a bit of a bind here as they get ready for the draft. You know, we talk about their offseason moves. They acquired defensive end Michael Bennett from the Eagles for a 2027th round pick, uh, which is pretty much peanuts, and a 2025th round pick. They solidified depth at wide receiver. They re-signed Philip Dorsett to a one-year deal, and they signed Bruce Ellington from Detroit. Talk about the impact of Bennett. He can still be a force, I think, at age 33. And do you foresee an impact for Dorsett or Ellington sort of in that slot area or area of the field where Gronkowski used to work? Uh, I think the jury is still out on 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 the on the receiver position. I mean, I think I've detailed it pretty well here. Uh, they're spending eleven and a half million dollars ish on the wide receiver position, and they are at thirteen plus for special teams only players at this point, and that's without having signed a kicker yet. Um, the negotiations with Steven Guskowski kind of moving very slowly here. Uh, so it just kind of tells you, look, A, Julian Edelman is criminally underpaid, but B, there's not a lot there in terms of depth. There's not a lot there in terms of high-end talent, and I think they're going to have to uh, figure it out. I think Ellington and, and uh, Maurice Harris are almost – you're taking flyers on those guys. Not the ones being paid much in terms of the signing bonus, so that tells me – they're both going to have to work to make the team. Uh, and I think that they are far from done at that position. And whether that's, whether that's adding someone via trade, which I think is probably the most logical thing at this point, and then supplementing it with draft, you know, some draft capital and uh, a pick or two at wide receiver. I think that's, uh, that's probably how that's going to have to go there at that position. And now that Gronk is, you know, retired, you get that 10 million, which again would have been nice to have prior to free agency to get it now, uh, you're about 17, 18 million under the cap, so you have some 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 room to sort of play with and, and make trades. And look, I, I tell this to people all the time too, and we've seen it now year after year. The Patriots have found, I think, what they feel like is 
um, a little loophole in the system, if you will, or, or there's a hole and not enough teams have capitalized on. That's the trade market in season. And we see them add players to varying degrees of success during the course of the season, whether it's Josh Gordon last year, Kyle Van Noy prior, uh, Akeem Ayers in the Super Bowl season in 14, um, you know, different levels of players, but players that are certainly talented and have made, you know, in, in Van Noy's case, a great impact. And in Gordon's case, you know, at, at least for when he was here before the suspension, a solid impact. And I think that's another thing you look at week four, week five, regular season, Oh, look, their receivers aren't very good or they're not getting enough separation on the outside. Well, Bill and Nick Casario are going around looking at the league and they're saying, well, you know, Detroit's one and four. You know, maybe Golden Tate was available last year. You know, Demarius Thomas, the Broncos, it's not going the way they wanted it to. He's available. So I think that they're, they'll position themselves not only in terms of draft capital, but in terms of money to be able to do something in season that, that is uh, – I don't think a lot of teams really sort of bargain for and sort of plan for. And they've been very disciplined with how they structure their money, you know. So they bring Michael Bennett in from the Eagles. He's been an expert Belichick, whether it was the Chandler Jones situation. He sort of finds these guys, maximizes their production, and then ends up moving in a different direction. So I would think that Bennett would have a big year for the Patriots one way or the other, correct? I mean, look, he, he he's going to have to come in and sort of adapt to this system, but clearly they felt like in looking at him that he was able, he's either done stuff like this in the past or is going to be able to make that switch when he gets here. So, um, look, he was incredibly productive last year, and he's been productive when he's been healthy. Uh, you know, he's a different kind of dude a little bit, and I know they had experience with his brother, but from talking to people, I don't know that, that Michael is in the same – fun-loving spirit as Marcellus is. But, you know, clearly guys both outspoken, not afraid to speak their mind, and Bill will let them do that as long as they're producing on the field. And uh, I think they feel like for the money and sort of the trade-off, if you will, you know, Trey Flowers, uh, I'm sure they would have loved to keep Trey Flowers, but not that money. No way, no how. Trey bet on himself, and uh, he had a home run. So to, to them, Bennett is maybe a better player, older, and shorter term. So, you know, if, if he produces at the level he has in past years, then they, then they got themselves a, a hell of a uh, steal from the, from the Eagles. You cl- look clearly weren't going to keep him because I'd say he probably wore out his welcome in Philadelphia. Let's take a look at the running back position. Running back in New England, always productive. Going back, Corey Dillon. I mean, like Eric Blunt. Sony Michelle had a very strong rookie season. 931 rushing yards, not as much of a threat as a receiver. Six rushing touchdowns and five games of 100-plus total yards. James White, death taxes and James White. Another fantastic receiving season as a satellite back. Second in running back targets, 123. And third among running backs with 87 receptions. So handicap this backfield. And of course, Course, there's always the potential of Rex Burkhead, but of course the injury situation. So how do you see that playing out this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it sort of shapes up exactly as it did in the past. I think they would like to have sort of split the load between Burkhead and, and, and Michelle and have White as your receiving back. And I think the one thing that they like about Michelle, and obviously he lost a, pretty much all of August when he got that knee drained, is they felt like when they drafted him that he was good in the past game, not only as a receiver, but as a you better be able to pick up the blitz and he can do that, or at least he did it at Georgia. And I think they feel like him having a full year in the system and hopefully uh, full immersion in the offseason health-wise, that he will be able to elevate his game in that regard, which will allow them to be 
a little bit more deceptive. You know, I, I think the numbers were bore themselves out last year or something crazy like 80% of the time that Sonny Michelle was on the field, they were running the football. So they would like more to creep down to more of a 50-50 balance, whether it be 60-40, 65-35, whatever it is, but something that gets them a little bit closer and makes the defense say, okay, we have to respect this guy's ability or the, their ability to sort of play action out of this and be willing to throw. There was actually some moments late in that Super Bowl where they did that. So um, that's something I think they'd love to be able to do this year running back. And I, and I look at the, the – the, the way the position gets drafted now, and I know we've had guys like Fournette and Saquon Barkley get drafted up pretty high, but I think that there is a continuing across the league of sort of downplaying that position and the importance of that position. And I think you're going to find some really good running back talent who end up being third-day draft picks. You know, I, Bryce Love out of Stanford is someone that kind of come, jumps to mind. It was a Heisman candidate, gets hurt, capable coming out of the backfield, you know, do you plan for life without James White in a year or two? You know, they're always sort of looking ahead, and I think that might be a position where they might surprise you on draft day, on day three, and, and pick themselves a running back. Let's turn to the defense. Greg Schiano, of course, all set to become the team's defensive coordinator, but he reversed course, citing the family as a deciding factor. What is the upset? On, what is the update on the defense? Is Belichick going to really pretty much run the defense again instead of a, sort of a de facto one or person that's there? What are you hearing about the defense and, and sort of the coaching staff there with the Schiano situation? We're hearing absolutely nothing. <laughs> which is, <laughs> that's about right. Uh, which is the way probably Bill wants. And I think, look – Shiano had put that on their radar maybe a couple weeks before the announcement came that, you know, he was starting to have second thoughts. Uh, and I think you saw in Bill's statement at the time of Shiano's resignation, you know, there was clear support behind Greg. But again, you've much like with, well, to a lesser extent, because obviously we know Gronkowski, how he, how he impacts games physically on the field, but you were looking for someone to lead that defense, even if, you know, that defense is as much Bills as anybody else's, if not more so. Uh, and now you're looking at a staff that, you know, you peel away Brian Flores now with Miami. Um, you're Josh Porter, the cornerbacks coach, now in Miami. You are you lost a lot of ve- veterans. Brendan Daly, now in Kansas City. You lost guys that maybe, you know, Daly might have been someone who, okay, this thing didn't work with Shiano. All right, Brendan, you're on the spot. It's your chance now. Um and so you're you're looking at a staff that is very uh, young, uh, inexperienced. You know, they added Gerard Mayo, a former player. He's not going to be calling the plays. Stephen Belichick is your most tenured uh, defensive coach right now, seven years on the staff. But I don't know that he's ready for that. I don't know if anybody knows that. Maybe you don't know until you do it. But I, cl- clearly that they've got some work to do there. Brett Bielema was on the staff as a, sort of a consultant last year, but work with the defensive line. Maybe he becomes the de facto DC. But again, I think he'd be more of an arm of, uh, you know, the puppet for Belichick than anything else. And I don't mean puppet in a bad way. I just mean, you know, look, this is what we want to do. Now it's up to you to go call the game and adjust in in that manner. So uh, it's certainly something something to watch because that's, They've had some consistency there. Um, you know, you lose Patricia, and it was a nice seamless transition to Flores because Flores had been on the staff for 15 years. Now, all of a sudden, you're sort of spinning the wheel a little bit, seeing what you're going to do, and, and maybe that 
person comes from outside the organization. And that's always a little bit different too for the Patriots. They like to groom and promote within, but they might be in a situation where they don't feel like they could do that this time around. And of course, the key question for the Patriots as we speed towards the draft, they have 12 picks, six in the first three rounds. Where do you think they're going to go, especially with those top picks? Last year, of course, Isaiah Wynn and then Sony Michelle. People wondering why did Belichick take a running back? And sure enough, it worked out just fine. So what are you hearing uh, the Patriots going to target in the draft, especially those early picks? Well, I think they'd love T.J. Hawkinson, but uh, unfortunately for them, the tight end out of Iowa, fortunately for them, I think there's probably 12 other teams that would uh, love T.J. Hawkinson, and I think he's going to be uh, – I keep using this phrase when I talk about him, overdrafted, and I don't mean that I that I don't think he's an, has a chance to be an impact player from day one because I believe he will be. In fact, push comes to shove, I could see him being one of the five or six best players coming out next year in terms of an impact made on an organization. Uh, but I think on a normal year, Hawkinson might be late teens. And I think maybe this year he ends up eight, nine, ten, somewhere in that range. Uh, and I think it just sort of speaks to the, maybe the dearth of high-end, high-level talent at the top of the draft. I think a lot of teams have first-round grades like – no doubt our first round grades on 13 or 14 players. And then I think there's a whole bunch of guys um, and maybe more so than recent years who are in that sort of same area in the second round grades, you know, probably 45 guys that, that, you know, depending on what you do and what you like, um, you might pick someone higher than someone else would. But I think uh, you got to look at tight end. You got to look at wide receiver. Um, I think you got to look at another big body on the interior. Um, you know, you, you, you like to move around Michael Bennett, but I think they've always loved to have that sort of, uh, square guy in the middle. And I think you'll have Lawrence guy, but now is, uh, the kid from the jets, is he going to be able to do that? He's got a little bit of a history in terms of suspension. So I'm, I could see them looking at the possibility of, of drafting a, a big guy. And I think that's, uh, that's a fairly deep area of the draft this year, defensive line, defensive end. Um, and again, I think they need someone to impact the passer. Last year, Adrian Claiborne was not a home run by any stretch of the imagination, uh, ran by the quarterback quite a bit, but still could provide that burst and that veteran experience and give you a little bit of a threat as a pass rusher. And I think uh, unless they feel like Derek Rivers, their top pick from a couple of years ago, or Keonta Davis, who got a fair amount of playing time early in the year last year and then basically became inactive for, I don't know, the final 14 weeks or so, um, unless they feel like one of those guys projects to that, I could totally see them going in that area again. That's a pretty strong um, class of guys um, in that second, third round area that, that might be, you know, with all those picks, you might be able to do something. And look, let's face facts too. There's no way they're keeping all those picks. He's going to move up. He's going to move down. He's going to move sideways. He's going to move into the next draft. Um, and we'll use that capital like crazy. Um, last year, you know, trading back, trading back, trading back. Now all of a sudden, oh, maybe Dick Dawson's going to get picked. Now we jump back forward and you make the pick. So I, I think uh, he will be uh, the most aggressive guy in draft day as he's been the most aggressive guy in draft day for the last, whatever, 10 years or so. And I'm sure what he do will work out just fine. He's the master and there's a reason for that. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. 
As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Moving to our next team, Miami Dolphins. They were 7-9 last year, second in the division, but still fired Adam Gaze as head coach after three seasons. Gaze had a strong first year. He went 10-6, and six, made the playoffs, but then back-to-back seasons, 6-10, 7-9, brought his tenure to an and there were talks of players not getting along on his way out the door. What was Gaze's demise in Miami, and what have you heard about the new Brian Flores regime so far? Well, we'll start with Flores just in terms of, you know, they're looking to remake their entire culture there, Um, and they feel like Flores, and I feel like Flores, having been around him for as long as I've been, that, uh, you know, everybody points to Belichick, the Belichick tree hasn't been all that successful. Well, if there's any guy that's going to go out and he's going to remain himself and not do what Mangini did, not do what Josh McDaniels did, uh, and certainly what Matt Patricia did in his first year in Detroit, and that sort of act like you're Bill, when in fact you're not Bill, and maybe there'll never be another Bill, um, that, that Flores is someone who's true to himself and he is who he is, and he's not going to, I don't think, change. I mean, I'll, I'd be curious to see what it looks like, you know. I think we all expect they're going to get off to a rugged start. It's not going to be a great year for them. They're clearly retooling their roster. Um, so, you know, I wonder what it'll be like when he's getting barked at from the media and fans when they're, you know, 0-5 or something like that. But I think he is very strong in his convictions. And as long as the owner stays the course there, and that sometimes has been a problem in Miami, I think Brian has a chance to succeed. Of course, you, you got to find a quarterback, and I don't know that that quarterback is in this draft. So maybe, you know, the tank for Tua thing. Maybe that, uh, even though they don't like to use the word tank, maybe that's sort of how they're thinking of, about this year as they move into next year and their their planning. Um, and as far as Gaze goes, I, I, look, I, I think they married themselves a little bit to, well, not a little bit. They married themselves to Ryan Tannehill. I think that's part of the reason why he was brought in was to coach up Tannehill and. When Santa Hill was healthy, he put up decent numbers, but he wasn't always healthy. And some of those numbers, as Patriot fans can attest, he had some big games against them in losing efforts. He also, you know, he beat them a couple times. But I think, you know, you, you look at the final stats, oh, he threw for 300 yards. You know, he completed 68% of his passes. But they were losing by 21 points for most, most of the game. And then they were checking it all over the yard at the end. So I just... I think that was part of it. I think they're, they they sort of changed direction a couple times under Gase there, and whether that's Gase, whether that's the owner, whether that was Panama, the GM, I, I, you know, everybody points the finger at somebody else. But, uh, yeah, just clearly they, they felt like they were going in the wrong direction under him, and they made the move. And like I said, I think I think Brian has a chance here if they, if they give him a chance. You know, we've seen a lot of coaches get bounced very early in their tenures nowadays. It seems like, you know, People think that one, two, maybe three years is enough. Uh, Gates certainly only got three there, and I'm not sure that that's 
that's fair if you're trying to uh, implement a program and, and trying to build up. And Belichick talks about that all the time. You know, like that there's the, the, the desire to win now for owners is so intense and so crazy that I think that they sometimes forget it. It's, it's not easy to do in this league. It takes some time. You know, you mentioned the quarterback situation. They signed 36-year-old Ryan Fitzpatrick. He's with his eighth NFL team. So obviously he's a placeholder. Like you said, they will either address quarterback in this draft or next year's draft. The offensive line, though, needs improvement. It's going to be changed. They lost right tackle Juwan James to Denver. They released Josh Sitton. They were 18th in rushing last year, but only 18th in rushing last year, but only 30th in passing yards per game. I would think this is a focus area. They need protection both for Fitzpatrick and whoever comes in at quarterback back as well as to try to get some balance on this offense yeah i almost look at their draft you know and it's kind of that 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 sort of that range we were talking about where teams between 12 and 14 first round grades depending on who you talk to there were 13 Uh, i could see them being a team willing to move back and add more picks and more dice rolls here as they try to build talent on that roster uh, so I look at it as a situation where I don't know that any position there is set. Uh, and I almost think like if you stay at 13, you're literally doing the best available, you know, whether that's a defensive tackle, defensive end, safety, uh, wide receiver, whatever you think it is. I think they're in a position where if they feel strongly about a player, they have that player graded highly even if maybe they say, well, you know, we'd rather not add a tight end to the mix right now because we know we've got a ways to go. I don't know that they can necessarily turn their nose up at that. Um, so I think they're they're in a position where, boy, they, <laughs> they just have a, they, they have a lot of needs. So you stay there. I think you take the best available, and it wouldn't shock me at all if they move back a little bit, pick up an extra pick or two, and, you know, continue to take uh, – some more cracks, more kicks at the can, and see if you can hit a home run or two uh, with some of your added picks. What do you think of the running back situation there? Uh, Kenyon Drake entering his fourth season out of Alabama. Kalen Balaj flashed last year. Frank Gore, of course, gone. Is there a lead back, a workhorse back there, or is this still going to be a, a running back by committee? A Balaj sort of took control at the end of the year. Drake really underperformed after a pretty strong 2017. Where do you think their running back situation is going to head? This will be interesting because Chad O'Shea, of course, is a Patriots wide receiver coach. He moves over with Flores to be the OC there. And, you know, having been a part of that Patriots system for a long time, clearly, you know, I know Bill sort of threw a curveball last year by picking Sony Michelle in the first round. Not that they devalue the running back position, but I think he likes to spread the ball out. And I'm wondering if O'Shea will continue to sort of, you know, following that, that train of thought, um, you know, that there's a fair amount of talented backs in the draft. Maybe, you know, find one later in the draft, you combine him with uh, Balazs and, and, and Drake, and you have yourself a three-headed monster that, you know, if if the guys stay healthy and you, you improve your offensive line, gives you an opportunity to have some more success running the football. Um, I think we're, we're pretty much – Across the board, I mean, how many teams really truly have a bell cow back these right. days? You know, yep. I mean, Saquon's that guy for the Giants. Obviously, when you pick him second, Fournette was supposed to be that guy for the Jags and had a you know uh, very uneven uh, year both on and off the field for Jacksonville. But it just, I, I think the the nature of that position too, you just get the snot kicked out of you. I just, you know, I think that they look at it and say, you know, how much better is this guy going to be if he's only carrying the ball? 
you know, testing the ball 250 times versus 350. Um, you know, I mean, look at Le'Veon Bell and the, the decision to stay away. You know, some of it is certainly, I, I question the business decision there. Um, but the man was touching the ball 400 plus times a year. And, and had basically been doing that since he was a senior in, or a junior in, at Michigan State. So from a fiscal standpoint, he probably does feel pretty damn good. And he probably can't, you know, say that he's felt this fresh and this explosive um, in a long time because of the, the wear and tear and the amount of times that they, they, you know, they put the ball on his hands, whether it be as a running or a pass receiver. So, yeah, I, I, I just I think that, that those days are, are rare now or we're going to have the, the bell cow back. Yeah, and there's a difference between a bell cow and a workhorse. You know, a lot of teams have a workhorse who do first and second down sure. riding work, and then the bell cow, of course, is a three down back. Miami doesn't have that, but many teams, like you said, don't. And looking at the draft, you talk about them trading back, but certainly all indications are this is a wide receiver rich draft. And the receiving core for Miami, Danny Amendola, his 59 receptions, who led the team, he's now in Detroit. Kenny Stills led the team with six touchdowns, and probably their most valuable wide receiver for a majority of the year was Albert Wilson. He went on IR with a hip injury. They did sign Dwayne Allen, who's someone you're familiar with. Nick O'Leary, second-year tight end. Mike Gusecki also there. This has got to be an area you would think that they would probably make a move to add somebody, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, pretty underwhelming in terms of talent. I like Jakeem Grant, too, who dealt with his share of injuries as well last year for Miami. And um, that was sort of the knock on Wilson as well, getting there, you know, can he stay healthy and bring the little guy and both of them end up getting beat up. So yeah, they've got, look, they've got, they've got, like I said, there's a million areas I think that they can address uh, and they would be uh, remiss in my mind if they at least don't take a wide receiver somewhere in the first few rounds. Let's turn to the Bills. Last year, third in the division, 6-10. and ten. Year two of head coach Sean McDermott's tenure. They drafted QB Josh Allen with the seventh overall pick from the 2018 NFL Draft after coming off that surprise 9-7 and seven playoff season. What's the vibe you're hearing in Buffalo? They ended that 17-year playoff drought. Do you expect a, a playoff run this season after sort of a down year? They did compete, though, with McDermott. The defense is always solid. Sort of an unknown variable here in the division, Buffalo. Yeah, I actually, I like what they did in free agency, um, maybe more than even the Jets, who certainly added a splashier and the, the higher ticket items. But I think that they were methodical. You know, last year they took a, you know, they took a hit. They knew it. They were they had a lot of dead money, and they were like, we're just going to roll with that. We're not going to we're not going to add players for the sake of adding them. We're going to cut guys that we don't want around. We don't see the long term future. We'll deal with the setback this year, so we have money and, and flexibility with the roster to to move forward. I think they added a ton of offensive linemen. You're talking about a team that had a hard time protecting Allen last year, and yes, some of that is on the quarterback. He's a rookie. He's still trying to process and learn, um, but. I think they got better up front. I think that they're, I like the idea of actually adding Frank Gore because LaShawn McCoy had a down year as well. Now, again, some of that's on the offensive line, but I think you're sort of adding another body there. And maybe somebody who could push McCoy. The two of them are very, you know, they talked about being very excited to play in the same backfield or just play on the same team with each other. So I think that, that I like what they've done. I I don't know, you know, Allen's going to have to make a, a big step up in his accuracy from year one to year two. I think that was the thing that struck me. We didn't didn't see him the first time around when the Patriots played because he was hurt. It was Derek Anderson. That was that Monday night game that was a, just a dog of a game. Sure, yep. controlled it. Anderson. I think Anderson had been off the golf course for like a week and a half. 
Um, but when we saw Allen late in the year, I was kind of looking forward to it just to sort of, all right, you see the, some of the highlights, you see some of the moments. He Obviously, we know about the arm. He surprised everyone with his athleticism. I was just a little bit surprised at how inaccurate he was. And look, the Patriots defense was really morphing into something pretty special there late in the year and into the, the postseason for sure. Um, but whether he wasn't understanding what he was seeing or not, he was missing guys, not just by a little, but by a lot. And that would raise some concern for me. Is he going to be one of those guys that, you know, he's going to give you, he's going to give you tantalizing flashes, but will he be accurate and consistent enough? And I think you can get better as an, as a quarterback in terms of accuracy, but I feel like there's a ceiling on that, you know, that you are what you are and, you know, we can refine mechanics and do all these things. But again, when the, when the, when the game speeds up, everybody goes back to the thing that they've done their whole life. This is how I've thrown the ball and now I'm getting blitzed and I'm going back to that old way. I'm not even thinking about the mechanics. I'm just thinking about this is natural for me. This is how I throw it. And now I'm missing my target by, you know, three yards and, and we're, we're punting again. So that to me is a big thing to watch for them because, well, I like all the things that they've done. So much is incumbent upon Allen to just raise up that level. You know, he's got to be a 65% passer. Um, he's got to be better on third down as a passer. And we'll see if he can if he can make that jump. Yeah, I think that's the key. And, and Allen, you know, certainly struggled with the accuracy, but really his rushing yards, I think Mike masked a lot of what went on. He finished second among quarterbacks in rushing yards, only behind Lamar Jackson. You know, had some yeah. games there where against the Jets, he was running all over the place. I really had some nice production. What they've done is they've said, listen, we have this young quarterback. We're going to bring in Cole Beasley. We're going to bring in John Brown. They have Zay Jones, Robert Fo- Foster Flash last year. They brought in Tyler Croft. So I, I think what they're doing here is trying to create a solid receiving core for him to try to help him with his accuracy. I, I would think that's a way that could it could work because, I mean, he does have a, a good deep ball arm. I mean, John Brown obviously is a deep ball threat. So given his limitations, probably this was the best strategy, I would think. No? Yeah, I mean, with, with Brown and Foster, I mean, Foster was averaging something ridiculous, like 25 yards to catch last year in, you know, limited usage. Now you have two burners on the outside, so you have to respect that if you're a defense because you know both of those guys can get over the top of you and do it in a hurry, and certainly the quarterback has the arm to push it over the top of you. Um, But in bringing in Beasley in particular, now you're giving him something he didn't have last year, and that is that that slot guy to work between the hashes and be that middle-of-the-field guy, sure-handed, tough. Um, They've given him – they did what they could. You know, like I said, they added the offensive line. You mentioned the receivers. They've done what they could to help this guy take the next step. I'm a big fan of Brian Dayball, their offensive coordinator. I think he did actually a really nice job when you sort of consider what he was dealing with last year um, to sort of create some opportunities for Allen. But now, like I said, I think this is a big year, and there's a lot on, on the kid to, to, to take that next step. Only question I have here is with the running back situation. Uh, LaShawn McCoy, Chris Ivory, Frank Gore, certainly veterans across the board, but uh, are those three you think likely to be on the roster for week one? Uh, what, what are you hearing? I remember last year I was talking about possibly trading LaShawn McCoy. That was a thought I had because it seemed they could still get something for him. I would think that that's sort of passed now, but what are you hearing? Are they really going to roll with these trio of 30-plus running backs? Yeah, I think that... that, that that's the the plan for now. Now you never know who's going to, 
who's not going to put in the necessary effort in OTAs when you start to get to this point of your career? Uh, you know, does McCoy want to put in the work? Does Ivory want to put in the work? I think we all know that that Gore has shown uh, that that he is. I mean, he's kind of a freak of, of nature at that position. Mike, he's found cocoon. He's found cocoon in real yeah, life. Yeah. It's, it's uh, he's he's pretty pretty awesome to watch, and his joy playing the game is pretty awesome to watch. But yeah, so I think that's that's certainly something that when they look at the draft too, they're going to probably have to think about, you know, do we need to draft a young developmental, you know, back that, you know, maybe can spell these guys or, you know, will these guys all stay healthy if we do keep them on the roster? So that's, that's another area we'll have to, to look to, to supplement in the draft. And of course, Sean McDermott, outstanding job with the defense. They allowed the second fewest total yards in the league last year, second best overall against the pass, which is vital with the Pats in the division, of course. The Bills still need pass rushers. Trent Murphy had a disappointing year coming over from the Redskins. Uh, Jerry Hughes coming off a big season, but he's still 31 years old. They have 10 picks here, Mike. Where do you see the Bills going in the draft? Defensive rusher, linebacker, or do you think they're going to continue to bolster that secondary and try to keep their spot as one of the top pass defenses in the in the league well i mean I, look you're in that division and you've got uh you know darnold who's an up-and-comer with the jets um and obviously brady's still still uh slinging it for the patriots so i think you you still have to concentrate heavily on the on the on the back seven if you will that linebacker defensive back although so many teams play nickel and dime now i think that's an area that you definitely have to look at if you're, you're buffalo you want to maintain that and look you you mentioned didn't get enough out of murphy last year Hughes is getting older and while still productive, it's probably time to start looking at, you know, if not this year, next year, who fills that void. And uh, like I said, I think it's a pretty good draft um, in that spot. So I can totally see them going in that direction and, and, and adding, um, adding a pass rusher or two in the draft. And we'll finish up with the Jets. Finished last in division, 4-12 and last year. Third consecutive season that was disappointing under Todd Bowles. 5-11 and followed by the 4-12. and They hired Adam Gaze from within the division, of course, with the Dolphins. Besides his now infamous Mike opening press conference, how have you heard Gaze has been doing with the Jets so far? I think they're excited about it because, you know, obviously they feel like he did a a pretty good job with Tannehill. Tannehill obviously clearly has it, had a ceiling. And they feel like, I think everybody feels like Donald Sealing is, is much greater, could have easily been the number one pick last year, ends up number three. I'm still saying the Giants probably screwed the pooch on that one and, and should have picked him at two. Um, so I think that they, they, they like the potential here of the of uh, the, the relationship with the quarterback and, and building something. And then when you add someone like Le'Veon, um, now you're giving him something that he didn't really have in, in Miami. So they've got, <clears throat> there's some potential there to, to, to unearth some more. I think we saw some good pieces of Darnold last year. I think with Gase, the, the, there's, they feel strongly that, that Darnold will take that next step and become much more consistent in year two. And, and you'll see a, you know, a leap in, in the numbers and production. And then when you start talking about that class, you know, I know everybody loves Baker Mayfield, but don't forget about Sam Darnold. Do you see Bell's role being the same with the Jets as it was in the Pittsburgh, the true Bell cow, three down back? I mean, when he's healthy, he's he's incredible. But of course, the question is, the Steelers' offensive line was so superior. Can he come close? Maybe not match, but stay in the same ballpark of production with the Jets as he was with Pittsburgh? I think when you're paying him that much money, 
I think he is, uh, I think Japan would be that guy to be the bell cow to get the, the 400 plus touches. Um, you know, and you're right that the offensive line in Pittsburgh was certainly a big benefit. His, his running style though, you know, with the, the patience there and the ability to, to sort of slow it down and then hit the crease and explode to the crease when he, when he sees it, wherever it is, um, is beneficial. And if he still has that jump in his legs, having, like I said, he probably feels better. Now the question is, will he get his, can his body get back used to playing football again? And, and how will he deal with the, you know, the, the inevitable injuries that come? Um, but I think you're, they're paying him to be that guy. I think there's no question that it's not just as a runner or two. I think the, the, the ability to be a receiver and to be a safety valve for, for uh, Darnold is something again, they didn't really have last year. So, um, between adding Bell and then Jamison Crowder will work out the slot for the most part. I think that they've done sort of what Buffalo did. They've, they've given more pieces to their, to their young quarterbacks around that young quarterback with talent, make him the best he can possibly be. When you look at the receiving core, especially from a fantasy perspective, I think it's one of the most underrated receiving cores in the league. Robbie Anderson, you know, certainly the deep threat there, and, and Darnold and him really started to click as, as the year went on. Quincy Anunwa, who can be deadly when he's healthy. Jamison Crowder comes over as that slot man you mentioned. And Chris Herndon, the tight end, second year out of Miami. So I think this is a pretty strong receiving core. And Darnold having, you know, I agree with you about the Giants, by the way. I think they, they should have drafted Darnold. But, you know, when you look at, at, at his ceiling as opposed to Allen, and I think he has a higher ceiling, and they think they have really strong weapons around him this year. Could it be one of the best receiving cores in the league? Yeah, I mean, Anderson's got to make sure his head is on straight at all times, and they need a healthy Nunwa because he, you know, he's a physical presence. And I know that in years past when he was playing, the Patriots had a great deal of respect for him. Uh, and Herndon, I think, to me, is one of those guys. He and Donald started to develop you know, a little something, something last year. So, you know, will they be able to build on that hurt? And certainly an athletic uh, sort of specimen at tight end. So there, there are pieces in place for, for them. They just need, I guess I really need, they need Robbie Anderson to be, uh, I guess when I call him a number one, I'm not putting him in the same number one category as, you know, the Beckhams and the Browns of the world, the Julio Joneses, but just sort of be that guy that, draws coverage his way, frees things up for other people, and, you know, still manages to get his five or six catches on a week-in, week-out basis, uh, you know, with the occasional eight or nine and, you know, 140 or whatever it is uh, for yardage. But I think that's – I think it's really important for them um, just to sort of alleviate some of the other pressure on some of the other guys and, and, you know, allow them – like, I love the idea of Crowder. Again, if he can stay healthy, I thought he would have been a nice fit – in New England, and you know he clearly wasn't necessarily on their radar. They put their their eggs in the Adam Humphreys basket and came up short. But I think if Crowder can stay healthy, uh, you know, I was the guy he's coming off a you know sort of down year in Washington. Well, uh, you know, when Alex Smith went down, uh, that offense went to, to hell in a handbasket, if you will, to quote my mother. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't uh, I don't put too much stock in what his numbers looked like last year. He just Again, he's just another guy who needs to stay healthy. Mike, I love Jamison Crowder. I'm a truther for him. When Alex Smith came over, I saw him leading the league in receptions and there for a variety of reasons. It didn't happen, but I think he's going to have a lot of one-on-one coverage here, and he can do some real nice things for him. I agree. The Jets' defense regressed last year. They were 25th overall, 25th against the pass, 26th against the run. I think that was the nail in the coffin for Bulls, really. To address this, they brought in C.J. Mosley, four-time Pro Bowler from Baltimore. They made him the highest paid inside linebacker in NFL history. 
Avery Williamson, Jordan Jenkins will be the other two starters in the 3-4. Clearly new coordinator, Greg Williams, carries a lot of clout. He's a guy who likes to talk a lot, but usually his defenses are pretty solid. I, I would think this would be an improved defense this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the Mosley addition. I think they, you know, he sort of becomes the quarterback of the defense and Again, people get crazy with the the amount of money he's getting, but we're in a we're in a whole new world uh, in terms of uh, you know. I think every year we're going to get this. You're going to somebody's going to get well, somebody. There's going to be ten or twelve guys to get paid. And be like, is he really worth that? Well, with the cap goes up ten million dollars, twelve million dollars every year. Uh, what the old numbers are, are? You throw them out, you know. So. Um, can he have the same sort of impact on their defense that he did in Baltimore? I believe so. Um, just a, he's a really talented football player, and I think you know Williams will give them that uh, that edge that I think they missed last year. Uh, do they have enough talent there? Eh, probably, probably not. Um, you know, I think they're still sort of building in that direction, and that's another area where I think that they maybe look at in the draft and say, you know, look, we, we, we've added some pieces offensively. We added Mosley. But we, we still got to work on getting that defense up to par and back to the level that it needs to be for us to compete, uh, not just for for with the Patriots, but you know, compete for a playoff spot because I think they're trying to. You put this much money into it in this free agency period, I think they're telling you that they feel like or they need to be uh, in the mix this year, and I think that might be a little bit. Uh, ahead of schedule for them, but I think they're certainly trending in the right direction, but they'll, they'll definitely need to, to me in the draft. I think they, you know, I think they need a corner. Uh, I think they need uh, another body up front. Um, so pretty good draft. to add the body up front as we keep talking about corner, a little bit hit and miss in this draft um, might be a spot where you have to address in the first round. Um, there's a couple guys that would maybe fit the bill there, but we'll see how that plays out. But def- definitely, they'll be better. There's no question they'll be better because uh, whether you love or hate Williams, uh, he will he will push them. He will push them to be much better than they were last year. Yeah, and that's a great question because they only have six picks in the draft, lowest amount of any team in this division, but they do have the number three overall. So, of course, it's going to be a question of where they're going to go. They don't need a quarterback. They don't need a running back. The wide receivers look strong. So I think that they're not going to be looking for one of these high-profile positions, but rather something that can secure them O-line, D-line, like you said, or, or, or maybe secondary. Mike, the information you've given us today is fantastic across the board, all four teams, AFC East. Last question for you, then we'll get you out of here. How how do you see it panning out? Do you see the Patriots yet again winning? And if so, who do you see as the one team that can sort of rise here, maybe give them a challenge, sort of a dark horse here, if the Patriots didn't win the division? Yeah, I think the only way the Patriots don't win the division is if Tom Brady gets hurt or starts playing like he's 42 years old. Yep. Um, I, I, like I said, I like both. I, I guess I'm a little bit higher on what Buffalo did just in terms of I like the way they're building it. But to me, that says to me, again, that they're another year away. I think the Jets are trying to throw themselves into the conversation now. You know, will the marriage of, of Gase and Darnold be successful? That's what they're hoping uh, hoping for. Will Gase be able to handle the New York media? Will Le'Veon Bell be able to handle the New York media? More is going to be expected of Darnold. Will he be able to handle the New York media? How about if I give you the, uh, I'm going to say the sneaky, 
second place team in the division is going to be the Bills. So I'm going to go Buffalo at nine and seven. I think that's totally fair, and they always play the Patriots tough. Absolutely, folks. Mike Giardi, one of the absolute best in the business. Follow him on Twitter at Mike Giardi. Covers NFL for the NFL Network. Knows all the teams here. Did a fantastic job, Mike. Thanks so much for a few minutes. You're a friend of uh, Road of His Radio, and, and again, you knocked it out of the park. Appreciate you having me on. That's going to do it for the Road of His Radio special edition division by division preview the AFC East. I'm Mike Randall. You can follow me on Twitter at Randall Rant. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to this special edition of Rotobiz Radio, the AFC East preview. Please remember to rate and review the Rotobiz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Contact us via email, rotobizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter at Rotobiz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotobiz at a 30% discount through the Rotobiz Radio homepage, rotobiz.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.